0: Yes, Lord, we do praise your name because you are worthy of praise in all things, in all the highs and all the lows. You are still God. And so we worship you this morning. And God, as we turn to your word, as we turn to hear from you, uh, we just want to cry out and and tell you that we're desperate for more of you. We're we're desperate uh, for a vision of you today. And so as we open your word, God, we pray that you would speak, that you would speak clearly to our hearts in those things, in those moments, in those needs that we have, that we would see you as our provider, that we would see you as our Savior. And so, Lord, we humble ourselves before you. This is your word. This is your church. And so we ask you to speak this morning. And it's in Jesus' name that we worship and pray. Amen. Well, when I was a little boy, somebody played a mean trick on me. I had watched some of the trees in our backyard grow as tall as our house from just a little sprout. I had watched my dad put things in the ground and then a few months later have fresh tomatoes that he would put on a sandwich. Uh, I had watched my mom's flowers turn from these boring green sticks into these bright, uh, luscious bulbs. And so, when an adult that I trusted told me that if I put Cheerios in the ground and watered them, that it would turn into a donut tree then I had no reason to doubt him. I was a child. I didn't understand how life really worked yet. And so, that day was the death of six little Cheerios. Now, there are all sorts of myths out there about how to grow your life, what works and what doesn't, what matters and what doesn't, and we are being fooled too easily. I'm afraid that if we keep going with our own advice, We will keep planting Cheerios, expecting to grow donut trees. We will keep trusting our own wisdom, expecting not to crash. We will keep seeking our own vindication, hoping to find satisfaction. We will keep treating God as irrelevant and believing that He still will somehow bless our lives. Life was meant to be lived by faith in God, and it is childish for us to think otherwise. Spiritual health, which is what we're going to be talking about this morning, is located in two organically linked places. Spiritual health has a root, and it has a fruit. The stuff that comes out of our lives, the fears, the anxieties, the frustrations, the angers, the discontentment, the skepticism, those things come from the root of our hearts. And root health leads to fruit health but destructive roots leads to destructive fruit. Last week in Psalm 53, we saw one picture of a root and its fruit. The root was found in verse 1. The fool says in his heart, there is no God, and the fruit which comes out from that root is clearly laid out for us in verse 3 of that Psalm where it says, they have fallen away. Together they have become corrupt. There is none who does good, Not even one. It is impossible to thrive while we treat God as irrelevant. But in Psalm 54, however, we see a totally different picture of a root and its fruit. God is treated with ultimate relevance. He takes the central place in life. And the fruit which comes out of that sort of a life is nothing short of beautiful. And the best part about it is that we don't even get to see this picture in sort of a controlled environment. Psalm 54 shows us the root and fruit of spiritual health in the midst of crisis. In 1978, somebody decided that before a vehicle should be approved to be sold and and purchased, that it should undergo a crash test. Think about that. The car industry has such a realistic view of the hazard of driving a motor vehicle that they believe it important to intentionally smash a car just to see how it responds. Have you ever seen one of those videos where a car is being crash tested and it's like moving in slow motion and the whole thing is just collapsing and the airbags deploy and the dummies in the car, they're, you know, their heads whip back and forth? Psalm 53 and Psalm 54 are like two different slow-motion videos of a crash test. We are getting to watch what the pressure of life can do to us and what God does for us in the pressures of life. So if you've ever wondered, what can faith in God do for my life? How can He help in the stress of my daily grind? then God is graciously coming down to meet us with Psalm 54 to answer that question. Yet, if, if I could say this with all reverence, Psalm 54 is Christianity's crash test. So if you have a Bible, I want to invite you to turn to Psalm 54, and we're going to read the whole psalm together. Psalm 54. To the choirmaster with stringed instruments a maskil of david when the ziphites went and told saul is not david hiding among us o god save me by your name and vindicate me by your might o god hear my prayer give ear to the words of my mouth for strangers have risen against me ruthless men seek my life they do not set themselves they do, excuse me they do not set god before themselves Selah. Behold, God is my helper. The Lord is the upholder of my life. He will return the evil to my enemies. In your faithfulness, put an end to them. With a free will offering, I will sacrifice to you. I will give thanks to your name, O Lord, for it is good. For he has delivered me from every trouble, and my eye has looked in triumph on my enemies. This is God's word to us this morning. We find out in the superscript of this psalm that the occasion for this psalm comes from 1 Samuel. Saul is so jealous of David that he actually wants to kill him, and the Ziphites, who were members of David's own family, betray him and tell Saul where he is. Saul sets out to try to find and kill him, and David tells us in verse 3 that strangers have risen against me. Ruthless men seek my life. This is a moment of crisis. So what will David do? How will he respond? You know, as we've heard so many times, when David is squeezed, what comes spewing out of his life? In this extreme moment of crisis, Through which it is in this extreme moment of crisis through which we learn the root and fruit of spiritual health. So, first, we start with the root. The root of spiritual health is confident neediness. The root of spiritual health is confident neediness. David's first step, his gut reaction, his natural impulse in the midst of crisis is to move towards God with neediness. Let's read verses one and two again. He says, "O oh God, save me by your name and vindicate me by your might. O oh God, hear my prayer. Give ear to the words of my mouth. David is brought to the edge of his humanity. He is drawn to the end of his strength. He is desperate and his desperation moves him towards God. When we need saving, all of us look to some name, When we need vindicating, all of us look to some strength. When we need to be heard, all of us seek someone's ear. So think about it in the context of your life. If you are a mom and you're listening to this and you have trouble with your children that pushes you to the end of your humanity, what name do you run to? Maybe it's a a blog site that you trust or another mom who's a little bit older and wiser who's been through what you're going through. We run to names because we trust that with those names come certain resources and wisdom. David, in his neediness, is running to God's name. If you work a job where you interact with coworkers and you feel like you've been falsely blamed, then going and running to someone who reports to you isn't going to help anything. No, you run to someone else who has power, someone who can actually do something about it. In his neediness, David looks to God's strength. If you are a single person and you run into a problem that you know would be easier to solve if you were married and the feeling of loneliness starts to creep in, you call out for someone's ear. Maybe it's your mom, maybe it's a faithful friend, or maybe it's even Google. But sometimes we just want to be heard. In his neediness, David seeks God's ear. He is desperate for the resources in God's name, the power in God's might, and the compassion and the companion of God's ear. So what in your life is currently driving your neediness? I know that many of you have health concerns and the daily pain and the fear of death drive you to cry out, oh God. I know that many of you have family conflict, which drives you to cry out, oh God. I know that many of you have a a certain volatility in your workplace that day in and day out drives you to cry out, oh God. I'm not sure where your need is, But I know that every area of our lives, whether it's financial, relational, emotional, you name it, any area, it is a nerve which, if touched just ever so slightly, can bring us to our knees. So can I just encourage you for a moment? Now listen, I don't want to give off the wrong impression. I'm not happy when my young son Benjamin gets hurt, and God is not happy when we get hurt either, but... When I hear a cry from Benjamin and then I hear dada, it melts my heart. I am not happy that he's hurt, but I am happy that he calls out to me when he's hurt, when he needs me, when he trusts me, when he looks to me to do for him what he cannot do for himself. That fills my heart with affection for him. So the sound of God's people crying out to him is a sweet sound to him. Our desperate cries to him are precious in his sight. When we go running into his arms, crying out to God for help, we honor him as the father that he is. When we go running into his arms, crying out for help, we then are tapping into the root of spiritual health. To put it simply, the prayer Oh God, save me, is the starting point of spiritual health. Now, some of you need to cry out to God like that for the first time today. Before we can have spiritual health, we must receive spiritual life. All of us at some point have been more like David's enemies in verse 3 than we are like David, where he says, They do not set God before themselves. We have put our trust in our name, We have put our trust in our own vindication. We haven't moved towards God in prayer. Our gut reaction in crisis was to take matters into our own hands. The anxiety, the disappointment, and the emptiness we feel comes because we were created to be a dependent being, but we are trying to live independent of God. When we put trust in our own name, in our own might, And in our own ability to answer our prayers, we are actually working against our nature. The reformers, as we call them, were a group of men and women who responded to the fact that the joy of God's salvation had been sapped out of the church. Uh, People were being taught to look inward for their own salvation and vindication rather than completely and totally looking to Jesus alone. Uh, One of the Latin phrases which I find memorable and worth remembering is extra nos. The reformers said that salvation was extra nos, meaning outside ourselves. It's easy for me to remember because NOS also stands for not nitrous oxide, which some people uh, use to make their cars go really fast. And there's even an energy drink that has been named after it. But it's important for us to remember because in the daily needs that we have, like car failure, relational conflict, conflict or financial crisis, or in the huge, big life needs that we have, like the fact that we are dead in our sins, the the tyranny of Satan, Satan, and the reality of death. Salvation must be extra-nos. It must come from outside of ourselves. We are needy people. And rather than that being something to minimize or deny, neediness is actually the first step in true spiritual health. Extra-nos is the reason that Jesus came from heaven to earth. Extra Nos is the reason that our ultimate hope for this world is not found in education or political reform or military might or lots of money. Our hope for this world is in the fact that God so loved the world that He sent His only Son, and that the Son so loved the church that He sent His Holy Spirit. Like David, the pressures of life drive us to confess that salvation must come from outside ourselves. I'm not sure what you've been told about Christianity, but here's our basic premise. Man has a need that he cannot meet, and God has provided the resources for all that we need in Jesus Christ. So, let's worship him forever. That's it. That is what we are all about. Now, maybe you'll say, ha! I knew it. Christianity is just a crutch for weak people. No, no. Christianity is not a crutch for weak people. Our neediness goes way deeper than a need for a mere crutch. Jesus doesn't come alongside us to just help us hobble along. We are so needy that the full weight of our life must rest upon Jesus. Christianity is not a crutch. Christianity is a medevac helicopter. Jesus must do everything for us or else we are dead. And that is the paradigm for the Christian. And the reason that we must embrace this paradigm is that our need for Jesus is pervasive in every single area of our lives. So let me try to make it practical for you in the middle of an argument in your marriage where accusations are flying and self-vindication is flaring, we have to see that it's in that moment that we haven't set God before ourselves. When you're on your way to work and you're grumbling and complaining about how frustrated you are that there's people sitting at home making more money off of unemployment than you're making by going to work, it is in that moment that we haven't set God before us. When you find out about someone else's failure, and rather than taking it to God as a burden before the Lord, you go around and you gossip about that person, it is in that moment that we haven't set God before ourselves. Walking with God is allowing the gospel paradigm that Jesus came from outside ourselves to save us, to take root in every area of our lives. So no matter how small or how big our need is, our first step is towards God, whose name and whose power and whose ear can actually save us. Now, you may notice that in the outline this week, the root of spiritual health isn't just neediness. There is a type of neediness That is self-focused. Rather than being faith in God, it is just self-pity. It is grumpy. It is mopey. It is complainy. And it saps the life out of everyone else around it. But that is not the root that we are after. We are after confident neediness. It is a neediness that is honest about its weakness. But it is just as honest about God's strength. David picks up in verses uh, 4 and 5 and says, Behold, God is my helper. The Lord is the upholder of my life. He will return the evil to my enemies. In your faithfulness, put an end to them. David isn't just needy. He knows the one who can help. David isn't just dying. He knows the one who upholds his life. David isn't just desperate. He knows the just judge who will be faithful to the end. He is extremely needy, and he is extremely confident that God will meet all his needs. In Mark chapter 7, we see what I think is just uh, the, the, the absolute best example of confident neediness in the whole Bible. And so let's just pick up there in verse 25. But she answered him, Yes, Lord, yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And he said to her, For this statement you may go your way. The demon has left your daughter. And she went home and fo- found the child lying in the bed and the demon gone. So here's this woman, and she's coming, come running to Jesus and fallen at his feet And she has begged him to do for her what only he can do. And his initial response is basically to say, I'm sorry, lady, I came first to the Jew and then to the Gentile. So it's not your turn yet. Now, how she responds back to Jesus is confident neediness personified. She responds, yes, Lord, yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. She is not denying the truth of her neediness. She is willing to agree that she is a dog, and yet she is so confident in the nature and grace of God that she expects to receive grace from Him anyways. The neediness is in who she knows herself to be, but the confidence is in who she knows Jesus to be. And Jesus responds for this statement, you may go your way, the demon has left your daughter. This is confident neediness, and it is the root of spiritual health. Ed Welch, in his book Side by Side, says, Weakness or neediness is a valuable asset in God's community. Jesus introduced a new era in which weakness is the new strength. Anything that reminds us that we are dependent on God and other people is a good thing. Otherwise, we trick ourselves into thinking that we are self-sufficient and arrogance is sure to follow. Confident neediness might just be our church's greatest asset. The root of spiritual health is found in these two pr- 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 profound things. We see it in verse 1 and then in verse 4. The first in verse 1 is, Oh God. And the second in verse 4 is, Behold God. The spiritually healthy person needs God, and so they cry out, Oh God but the spiritually healthy person also sees God. And so they say, behold, God. As honest as we are about our inability, we are just as honest about his infinite strength. As straightforward as we are about our hopelessness, we are just as straightforward about his faithfulness. As convinced as we are about our need, we are just as convinced about the fact that he is our helper. Confident neediness in practice is nothing more Than crying out, oh God, and behold God. It is needing God and seeing God. So there must be an organic connection between the root and the fruit. If confident neediness is what goes in, then what comes out? When the root is confident neediness, then leads to our second point. The fruit of spiritual health is grateful generosity the fruit of spiritual health is grateful generosity. David turns now to his response in verse 6. He has expressed his need, and he has taken a good, hard look at who God is. And so what is the fruit of that sort of confident neediness? He begins saying at the beginning of verse 6, with a free will offering, I will sacrifice to you In other words, I am so overwhelmed by how good you are to me, God, that I am going to give you even more than you ask for. David isn't going above and beyond uh, to try to move God's hand. He isn't going above and beyond to make these promises to to get what he wants from God. He is going above and beyond for no other reason than, than that he simply wants to. Here's the principle when we come to the realization of how desperate our need really is, and when we see how good and gracious God really is, then we begin to worship Him in freedom. We start making sacrifices to God not because we want anything from Him, not because we are making up for the bad things that we've done in our lives, and not even because it's what He requires. We start making sacrifices to God simply because we enjoy showing Him how much we really love Him. I think that the area uh, where we can see an expression of this in our world today is in our concept of romance. Uh, we've all seen it, and maybe we, we've even done it. Uh, when a person you know, falls in love with someone And they go out of their way to make all sorts of personal sacrifices in the early stages of the relationship. But then many times after taking steps in commitment and sometimes even eventually marriage, the thoughtfulness, the gifts, the plans, and the willingness to make sacrifice wanes. So what happened? Why does it fade? It fades because the initial sacrifices if I can say it that way, weren't actually as good-natured as we thought they were. We thought we were just expressing love and devotion to that person, but we were actually just trying to win them over. And it works in the other direction as well. Allie and I were watching a show the other night, and the wife in the show prepared this really nice meal for her husband with, with candles and his favorite food. And he comes in and sits down and says, Wow, this is so nice why did you do all this? And before she can even respond, he yells, you cheated on me. The idea is that there is uh, no way that you would have just done all this out of your own free will. The only reason you would do all this is if you were trying to make up for some bad thing that you had done. In Israel, there were different sacrifices that God had required of the people. There were tithe offerings where the people were asked to give the first 10th of their crops to the Lord. Uh, There were atonement sacrifices which were made to deal with the sins of the people. But that is not what David is talking about here. He is talking about going above and beyond. He is talking about just pouring out his heart of love to God. He isn't trying to win God over, and he isn't trying to make up for his past sins. See, when we tap into the root of confident neediness, our hearts explode with over and abundant love for Jesus. We stop asking who is looking. We stop asking, can we afford it? We stop asking, what is the minimum requirement? We stop asking, what's in it for me? This story that we're talking about this morning is the greatest love story ever told. This is real romance. The eternal God going all in on us and us in return going all in with him. There is a story in Mark chapter 14 that always strikes me. It's probably one of the most beautiful free will offerings that has ever happened in the history of the world. Uh, we'll pick up in verse 3 with Jesus. As he was reclining at table, a woman came with an alabaster flask of ointment of pure nard, very costly, and she broke the flask and poured it over his head. There were some who said to themselves indignantly, Why was this ointment wasted like that? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they scolded her. But Jesus said, Leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. This was no atonement offering. This was no tithe. This was a free will offering. This was over and abundant. And we get the sense of how over and abundant it was because the other people there scolded her. This seemed so irresponsible to them. But true worship in this world full of stinginess and skepticism and complaining will always seem irresponsible. Guys, 300 denarii was like an entire year's salary. In one moment, jar smashed, poured out, exhausted, never to get it back again. And not because Jesus asked her to, not because he needed her to, not because her salvation depended upon it. She broke the flask over his head because she loved him. And this is how Jesus described it. She has done a beautiful thing to me. The fruit of spiritual health is beautiful worship of Jesus. A heart that can worship Jesus like that is a heart that has find, found all of its needs met in Jesus. A church full of free will sacrifices sacrificers, is an unstoppable force. When we begin to move towards recklessly blessing others out of worship for Jesus, supernatural things are happening among us. Busyness, complaining, stress, stinginess, grumbling, giving the bare minimum, those are all natural things. Anybody can do those. But a church full of joyful content, generous, encouragers. Only God could do that among us. And that is why I call it grateful generosity. See, some of us give and give and give, but it's out of guilt. Some of us give and give and give because we want to get, we want God to give us what we want. But true spiritual health is grateful generosity And that's why David ends this psalm in the rest of verse 6 and into verse 7 by saying, I will give thanks to your name, O Lord, for it is good. For he has delivered me from every trouble, and my eye has looked in triumph on my enemies. You see, it is the root and it is the fruit. He has delivered me. That's the root. I will give thanks. It's the fruit. Aren't we tired of just checking boxes? Aren't we tired of just going through the motions? Aren't we tired of just giving the bare minimum? True gratitude is what makes us beautiful. True gratitude is what sets us free. I don't know if you've seen the new Aladdin film that came out last year. Um, I really liked it. You may know the basic premise Aladdin gets hold of a genie who grants him three wishes, and the whole movie he tries to be a prince so that the princess will fall in love with him. And after a crazy turn of events, Aladdin is outed as the peasant boy that he really is while simultaneously taking down the evil Jafar. When you get to the end of the movie, genie reminds Aladdin that he has one more wish Anything he wants is right there at his fingertips. Anything he wants, the genie must do for him. But after all they had been through and after all the genie had done for him, Aladdin uses his last wish to set the genie free. Aladdin and genie embrace, and in the wonder of the moment, you almost miss what they say. Genie whispers, thank you. And Aladdin whispers back, no, thank you, Jeannie. I owe you everything. When we come to grips with the reality of God's grace and goodness in our lives, we give the things that are most precious over to him because we are overwhelmed with thankfulness. No one can have a genuine experience with the gospel And not fall down in worship. No one can receive all that Jesus offers us in forgiveness, in new life, in a new family, and not want to throw our arms around his neck and say, I owe you everything. So, what does grateful generosity actually look like in our lives? Well, if you're operating in your marriage on a principle of grateful generosity, then you will be able to serve and sacrifice for each other out of love. A kind of no-strings-attached love, which is the fruit of contentment in Christ. If you are operating at your workplace on a principle of grateful generosity, you might just stop complaining, and instead you might start encouraging the people around you who need it. If you begin navigating your singleness based on a principle of grateful generosity, you will be able to trust God's timing rather than jumping at whoever might show you just a little bit of attention. In your finances, if you are operating on a principle of grateful generosity, you might add a new category to your budget that is over and above what you already give, which reads, Bless someone. And you just get amped up every month about the idea of loving and blessing someone else rather than loving and blessing ourselves. And when you and I come to die, if we are operating on a principle of grateful generosity, then we can face whatever suffering and pain come our way with peace, rest, and and grace. I have never seen a grateful and generous person die poorly. There's just something about knowing that all you have in your life is a gift from God that allows you to trust Him as the upholder of your life. He has every hair and every day numbered, and in His goodness, He will take us home when He sees fit." spiritually healthy people are givers, blessers, encouragers, and most of all, they are worshipers. Now, remember, we started this morning by asking the question, what can faith in God do for my life? In other words, can Christianity help me in my crisis? When David David says in verse 7, My eye has looked in triumph on my enemies. He is talking about the eye of faith. Uh, J.C. Ryle describes the eye of faith like a telescope. A telescope uh, takes things that are a long way off and makes them appear to be right up in front of our faces. See, God will deliver us from every trouble. And he gives us the telescope of faith to see that deliverance, even if it isn't going to happen today. God will make us look in triumph over all our enemies, and he gives us the telescope of faith to see that victory. The fruit of spiritual health is that we get to live life in God's ultimate victory and with the promise that everything between now and then will actually work out for our good. What I love about Psalm 54 is how it tells a story without actually telling a story. The story goes like this. Man's need, God's sufficiency, man's response. And that is the story of Christianity. It is the story that we need to hear over and over and over again. The goal of our life in Christ is to come to the place where our thankfulness, contentment, and worship aren't based on what happens to us during the day. But our thankfulness, our contentment, and our worship are based upon who God has been forever. And the amazing future which Jesus has secured for us which cannot be shaken. By faith, we can be anchored into God's story rather than wallowing in the midst of our crisis. Uh, recently, Benjamin was playing with the curtains in his, in his room, and he tripped and he fell just the right way so that he pulled the curtain rod out of the wall. Now, it would have been easy for me to be upset, but it was actually my fault because I had screwed uh, the curtain rod into the drywall instead of the stud. If I had drilled it into the stud, you know, it, would have never, it would have never pulled out of the wall. There are always two stories that are going on in the world in which we live. There is the grand gospel story and there is the crisis that we face. Faith is anchoring ourselves into the stud, into that grand gospel story that cannot be shaken. And if we are anchored into that story, we will be just like David and we'll be able to say, for he has delivered me from every trouble and my eye has looked in triumph on my enemies. At all times and in all places, God is the most relevant thing in the universe. He is the only stabilizing force. He alone promises to provide resources to help us that are not only outside of ourselves but that are outside of this world our help comes from heaven itself so i'll let you decide if christianity passes the crash test but as for me i will take this life any day if the fool says in his heart there is no god the wise man says in his heart, I need God. Grateful generosity becomes the fruit of our lives when confident neediness is the fruit, is is the root of our lives. Guys, we have great needs, but God has met all of our needs, past, present, and future in Jesus Christ. So let's worship him forever. Lord, once again, we are just so thankful for your word. We have so much to be thankful for. As we look back on all your past victories, as we look back on all that you've done for us and sending Jesus to die for us and, and in his resurrection, Lord, we can't help but praise you. We can't help but just cry out how much we love you. And God, I know in the tension of life, it is just hard for all of us. We feel the frustrations. We feel the discontentment. And so this morning, I pray that you would meet our hearts and that you would satisfy them. God, give us the gift of faith to be able to look past our current circumstances, to see those things that you've promised, and to see who you have always been forever without change. God, we, re- we really just need a vision of you. So open the eyes of our heart. We praise you. We love you, and we thank you. It's in Jesus' name that we continue to worship. Amen.